It's showtime, folks. Son now. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. Welcome to the Know It All Podcast. Great show today, an all-review show. We'll be back on Monday with some soccer information and uh, results from the weekend and during the week. But today we're going all-review all the time. We're going to start out with Rita Cinema and break down the Netflix movie, The Ryan Murphy Vehicle, Prom. Really fun, entertaining movie. Great review there. And then we're going to bring in Dr. M. Sage, and she'll be in here to do a review on the on the undoing. So uh good entertaining show. We'll get right into it with we'll get right into it with Rita Cinema and our review on prom. All right, we're gonna go to the movies with Rita Cinema here, and we're going to review the movie Prom that debuted on Netflix uh, last Friday. All right, Rita Cinema, what did you make of prom? Well, champ. You know me, I love musicals. And I think I already made that point uh, when we reviewed Jingle Jangle. But after I finished watching The Prom, I texted my sisters and said, I love The Prom, which I did. Of course, I was also thinking, as movie musicals go, I love The Prom. Um, no matter how much money is poured into them or how many big box office draws you throw at a movie, a musical written for the stage is just never as impressive as a movie. It's just not as good. They can be very good. I'm not saying they're not good as movies, but the thrill of watching it on the stage with live performers, I I just don't think you can capture that in a movie. And um, I'm I'm not going to say anything more because why I prefer Musicals on the live stage is another discussion entirely, and I don't want to sidetrack us. But anyway, Ryan Murphy, uh, as you know, brought us this movie musical, and uh, I read that he, when he saw the Broadway play, he was so thrilled with it, he said, we're going to make a movie out of this. Uh, but anyway, it's loaded with big-name stars uh, from movies and TV, Meryl Streep, Nicole Kidman, James Corden, Keegan-Michael Key, and Kerry Washington. And Murphy himself, of course, is best known for the TV series Glee and American Horror Story. Um, I was a big fan of Glee, uh, at least in the early years. It kind of trailed off after a while. Um, and I think this movie is a mix of youthful stars with an older, well-known cat cast and has a very similar vibe uh, to Glee. Um, we even get to see uh, bit roles played by Mary Kay Place and Tracy Ullman, uh, who are very wonderful actors and quite versatile. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed this film. Uh, really entertaining film. Probably uh, the best thing I'd seen Ryan Murphy uh, do in a while. Uh, certainly an upgrade grade over uh, that uh, other Netflix movie, which he didn't direct, but he produced. Uh, so uh, really enjoyed this movie. I, I thought everyone <coughs> was really great in it, except for uh, one person. Uh, loved the songs, and uh, that uh, final dance number at the end I, I thought was really, really dynamite. Right, 
Yeah, definitely. Well, let me give a little background on the story so our audience uh, listening, our audience can can know about it. Um, The story follows four Broadway actors whose careers are waning or rather stalled. Um, Broadway veterans Dee Dee, played by Meryl Streep, and Barry, played by James Corden, are facing the end of their careers, um, having just bombed in the musical Eleanor Roosevelt, which of course we you know, as a joke in itself, because how could you ever make an interesting musical out of the subject of Eleanor Roosevelt? Anyway, bad reviews of the uh, play close, uh, pretty much close it after its opening night. So they're all sitting around after a music number that they do. They're all sitting around at the bar uh, with bartender Trent, uh, played by Andrew Rennells, and Angie, uh, played by Nicole Kidman. Trent is a graduate of Juilliard, and he makes sure everybody knows that numerous times. Um, and fame has eluded him, and as has uh, for perennial uh, chorus girl Angie, who can never get the lead in the musical Chicago after many years of trying. She's always the chorus girl. Anyway, um, the, this narcissistic group of actors decides they will seek out good publicity to pump up their careers by finding a celebrity cause. That's what they cook up as they're sitting around in the bar. Angie finds a story um, trending on Twitter about a high school girl in a small conservative town of Edgewater, Indiana, uh, where Emma, played by Joellen Pellman, um, a lesbian, has been told that she cannot bring her girlfriend to the prom. Um, of course, you know, this publicity stunt is really all about, they don't really care that much about the cause. Um, it's just a good story, and it's all about these four stars themselves. And Barry uh, proclaims in a song, we're going to help that little lesbian whether she likes it or not. So that's sort of the the drift of uh, the movie. When they arrive at the school in, in the Edgewater, um, with a full-blown four-person protest, signs and everything, Barry tells Emma, uh, Emma that um, we are here from New York and we are going to save you. So, you know, the that continues. Now, Kerry Washington plays the president of the PTA, and she is leading the action to band ban Emma from bringing a, a female date, uh, a, a girlfriend, uh, with her uh, to the prom. Little does... Um, <clears throat> Uh, this person know that this uh, character that Carrie Washington plays, little does she know that it's her daughter, uh, Alyssa, who is Emma's love interest. So, of course, you know, it's very complicated. Um, Keegan-Michael Key uh, plays a school principal, and he is fighting for Emma's rights and um, to bring, and he, he's trying to bring some understanding and reason uh, to the situation. Um, and, and so I, I'm not going to tell the whole story here, but there are a number of subplots, and of course, by the end, we have growth on the part of everyone, from the actors themselves to Emma to all the high school, bigoted high school students and even the, you know, the president of the PTA. Um, and I won't tell all the details of the story, but through sing and dance, they seem to find their way to clarity and a happy, uplifting end to the story. Yes. Uh, overall, I... I think it uh i thought the performances were really good uh what did you make of uh joellen pellman uh the emma actress uh this was essentially her first uh real role of anything uh, right uh, actually she was my favorite in the whole thing and she was the least experienced so uh, let me just comment on the cast what what i think overall because you know it as i said it's a a star-studded cast i mean really it's quite strong um and uh meryl streep is amazing uh as always but frankly uh i think she's too old for the role she's 71 years old and while she doesn't look 71 she looks great and she can sing and dance with the best of them um and i would never ever question her acting skills which you know put her among some of the greatest actresses ever um but this little romantic story with, between her and her quite passionate fan, the school principal, um, played, as I said, by a much younger Keegan-Michael Key, is, I think, nothing short of cringeworthy. Um, I guess I sort of see Dee Dee as someone in her 50s, not her 70s, and 
I have to admit, I'm probably the only person in the world that would criticize the casting of Meryl Streep in any role. Now, I think Nicole Kidman is a waste. Um, I think Nicole is a very fine actress, and I like her in almost anything I see her in. But her Zazz number just didn't grab me, and I thought overall she looked gawky dancing and didn't sing very well either. Corden, you know, has received the most uh, harsh criticism of anyone in, in, the, in the play, and he does play this as a rather stereotypical gay man, and critics have decried his cliched performance, uh, but from what I read, it sort of ranges from he's too gay to he's not gay enough, so nobody mm-hmm. seems to be able to put well, their see, finger on that. see, I was going that. to go... Uh, he plays it like James Corden, who, yes, you know, if true. you didn't know he was married with children, you probably <laughs> would lean that he possibly might be gay. So, you know, well, he I, doesn't admit to it. I <laughs> don't I don't really. Uh, I, I didn't like his performance. Uh, yeah. I didn't think he was right for the role. He didn't give me the uh, leading man type feel. He, he feels like he's always a supporting character and you're supposed to believe he was this once big time male Broadway star. And I I just, well, I don't pick that up from him. I pick him up as a very good talk show host who has an entertaining talk show. You wouldn't cast David Letterman or Jay Leno in this role just because they wanted to moonlight as an actor. And I, I know James loves musical theater and he's been a promoter of it on his show. And that's always a good thing, but, uh, He's now ruined cats, and uh, he was very bad in prom. Yeah. So, yeah, well, uh, you, you aren't alone in thinking that. There's a good bill. Uh, he's you know, going over two here. He yeah. might need to retire. From, he's been vilified uh, pretty much in this role. Honestly, I didn't mind his performance that much, but I have to admit I did find him annoying at times. I I can't say that I loved him in the role, um, and so I, I just was kind of in the middle. He you know he didn't bother me that much. I did. I do think he's much younger. Then um, I, I don't know how old he is, but I know he's considerably younger than 71. And yet he's supposed to be kind of uh, Dee Dee's equal in terms of time on the stage and, and starring with her and stuff. And I thought, you know, I, I understand that Meryl Streep is great. And I don't want to be ageist because, you know, I don't like it when people discriminate against someone because they're 70 years old. But, you know, to have these two young men and... Well, Keegan's not all that young. Well, how old is he? He's almost 50. Well, to me, (laughs) hey, 50 is young. I'm sorry to say 50. And that's exactly what I thought they should have had in the character of Dee Dee. Someone in their, you know, 50-ish. Well, yeah, I probably agree with that. But if you can... Not a 71-year-old woman. If you can agree to get Meryl Streep on your side, (laughs) you get Meryl Streep on your side because (laughs) she brings people to the movie. You just put her name on the bill and you automatically... I I do understand that's why they... You get... uh, Have a cast. Relevance. Everybody's like, oh, Meryl Streep's in it. It must be a good film. And and let's face it, I mentioned this to you. Probably (laughs) the best people in these roles are the ones that start on it in the Broadway musical play. And they're, you know... Nobody knows who they are virtually, well, so they're uh, not going to get them. Andrew Rinalds, the uh, guy oh, who played Trit, yes. he is the only one that is actually a, a pretty much a tried and true star. Yeah. Uh, Broadway actor. Yeah. Uh, well, of and the he group. was pretty good, actually. However, I am going to say that my favorites in the in the in their roles were definitely the two young women who were cast in the you know teenager lead roles and you know Joe Ellen Pellman as i mentioned and um the other one is a- Ariana DeBose plays Alyssa her her girlfriend i thought both of them were wonderful and frankly i really liked the young cast that was in it i thought their dancing singing their you know they they, they i did like that i thought Joe Ellen Pellman as Emma was just delightful and she had a fabulous singing voice and she I mean she did out outdid everyone else virtually well uh, uh Ariana DeBose was supposed to have a big Christmas because she's also in West Side Story yeah I, I know was, she has quite a bit of experience Pillman doesn't have yes, as much but she was supposed yeah. to be in the Spielberg uh, West Side Story uh, that was going to drop on Christmas Day which uh Sadly, we'll come out Not, next yeah. Christmas Day. Yeah, right. Well, anyway, I thought Pelman pulled off the role very convincingly. I think, um, you know, I always enjoyed it when she was in a scene and when she was singing. And she was very good with the emotions of the situation from, you know, high to low. And I, so I, you know, kudos to, to um, 
the two young actor, actresses um, who were in it. Um, and, I mean, you know, it's not easy to act with Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. I mean, you know, how do you become... they? And yet, I thought they were the stars. Um, now, that you know, that's my take on the, the cast. I have some other thoughts on the production, too. And, and All right. You, well, you, let's... Uh, I, I enjoyed the production, but uh, I will say this about the production. It felt like a TV show. That's, now... That's what... Mm-hmm. You can't reproduce a stage musical. Well, no. A, but if you go like Rob Marshall style in Chicago or Into the Woods or the yeah. Les Miserables... Those were all very good, those, but they still aren't like watching it well, on no, stage. Well, no, but the production value, yeah. I will say, is over the top. And is, is this good. felt yeah. like a yeah. blown-up episode of Glee. <laughs> it, uh, was, which, it did. Which is, it is bad? under... No, it's not bad. I was very entertaining... But, you know, they had a high school location. They shot on their high school location. And they didn't much... Well, that made it look more realistic. Yes, but they didn't much vary <laughs> off of that. And also, uh, Ryan Murphy really isn't a film director. He's a TV producer. And that's why it had a, probably a, a feel. little bit of yeah. a TV feel. Uh-huh. So yeah. I didn't hate it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm comparing more so like a Rob Marshall or a Tim Burton musical or, yeah. you know... Those type of musicals that have come out uh, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years that have real, real, you know, expensive set value. Right. Yeah. Where this probably had a production budget of about $2 million, where those probably had a production budget of about $30 million. Well, I did think they look, made it look realistic. I mean, I think, you know, the little small town motel, yes. the mall they went to, the high school, it... it Definitely looked like whatever Edgewater, Indiana uh, looks like. Well, I was wondering if yeah. Keegan Michael Key was just <laughs> jumping from set set stage to set stage, uh, doing this one in jingle jingle and Christmas jingle, jingle, at yeah, the same I, time. I don't know. They I, just I, I don't I don't know. About saw that. him on Netflix campus, <laughs> and we're like, why don't you come do this one as well? Yeah. Well, he's very talented, actually. Oh, yeah. I, I thought he I did. Thought he I was thought he did a good really job good too. Actually, I thought he was one of the better of. The he big was. Stars. I actually enjoyed him much better in this one than in uh, Jingle Jangle. Yeah, I think I did too, actually. Um, anyway, I don't fault the production too much. I get what you're saying about the TV feel uh, feel to it, and it was very much like Glee, but I enjoyed Glee. So, but I thought the music, the costumes, the glitz, the dance numbers. I thought the choreography was all good. I I enjoyed all of it. And um, I, just uh, as I mentioned, uh, the youthful cast, um, just like as, as in Glee, I thought they did rousing numbers and and um, they were all uh, quite well done. And yeah, that last dance number, the prom dance numbers, the last ones yes. were really good. That was the my favorite uh, scene in the yeah, whole movie. That, also, that was good. Uh, they had Tracy Ullman in the background. Yeah, doing I like fun Tracy, Tracy yeah, Ullman yeah. things. She, she which had, uh, is always fun to see as she yeah. dresses up in one of her Well, she crazy, was dressed uh, as a as very uh, as a Midwest, mother, a Midwestern, Midwestern mother. Mom. Yeah. And boy, she looked it too. Believe me, I grew up in the Midwest and I know. Uh, she definitely looked but she's wonderful. And I think Mary Kay Place, who played the Emma's grandmother, yes. was it was was nice too. I, I like that. But I will say, um, it's kind of a long movie, uh, two hours and ten minutes. I mean, you know, when you when you go to see a musical in the theater, it's long too, but you get breaks between scenes and you get a intermission, and so it, it's broken up a little bit. But this is two hours and ten minutes, and and mm, I thought oh, that some would say that's what the pause bur- button is for on Netflix. <laughs> well, I understand, but you're pausing in the middle of a fancy <laughs> dancing number. You can't do that anyway. Um, I I did think that. There were a lot of subplots. Each one of the adult actors, each four, had a story to tell, and we got all of their story. And I actually felt like they, you know, I, I suppose this is part of it, but they focused a little too much on the adult stories, and I would have stor- sort of liked a little more on the, you know, the actual story of the, the situation with the, the high school. Uh, and um, I really did enjoy the young people and their talent and their uh, musical and, and dancing talent uh, quite a bit. Although I do understand why they have to have a big stars in a movie musical because otherwise people won't watch it. 
you know, that's all part of it. And I do think all my observations that have been critical, um, you know, I started out by saying I texted my sisters and said I loved it, and I did love it. And so I think most of my criticisms are, are kind of picky observations, and I, I really don't want to criticize the movie too harshly because actually I thought the message it sent about uh, inclusivity and acceptance was a very good one, and they did a, a, a good job, um, I, I think, portraying that. Um I thought that, you know, good music, fine acting overall, make it fun to watch, and uh, it does have, you know, it, it is a movie or a, a stage musical, and it, it does have a bit too neat of a wrap-up. Everybody turns out, you know, they've changed their mind about everything or they've growth, had growth in it. Everything um, sort of turns out well for everyone. And I think we all know that real life isn't, really this easy for young LGBTQ individuals, in particularly in high school. But that's sort of part of theatrical license and the fact that you have to be able to fit a story, and particularly if you want it to be a happy, uplifting story, um, into a two-plus-hour, you know, production. Um, so I, I will say that I have heard, I've also read that some that have noted they think the story is dated and that there is more acceptance about, among young people now uh, for something like this. But actually, um, I did a little reading on this too, and this particular story, The Prom, was originally made from um, a sort of around a real-life events that occurred in 2010 in Mississippi, not in Indiana. Um, and... Is there a difference between the two states? Uh, quite a bit, yes. Uh -oh. Although, you know, when it there is, uh, but uh, but when it comes to LGBTQ Other issues, than I think probably not. Um, but anyway, it, it and um, actually, what I was going to say was there are still numerous, up until last year, even this year, there were still numerous cases around the United States that involved discrimination and lack of ex acceptance at high school proms and other high school events. And they have, you know, they aren't 20 years old. They are, you know, just a few years ago. So this, uh, you know, this kind of situation does still exist. I do think young people um, ha have a little different view uh, on th uh, things like this than they did, you know, 10, 20 years ago, but not a whole lot, and adults are still influencing young people in negative ways about this um, as well, this kind of situation. Um, but I do think this story uh, brings um, Emma's, uh, or this production brings Emma's story to life with music, and it's quite heartfelt, and I enjoyed it, um, both the performances and just the, you know, her story. You just sort of you like Emma so much that, you know, you don't want this to turn out bad for her. Uh, yeah, at any rate, I you know. think this is definitely a really entertaining movie. And uh, I think it's a fun watch, uh, yeah. entertaining watch. I don't know if it's right. the greatest musical ever made, no, but no. it's an entertaining movie to take up two hours of your time. So, yeah. Yeah. speaking of that, yeah. what do you got ratings-wise for this Okay, movie? so I recommend this to music lovers, musical lovers, uh, and those who liked Glee, Once Upon a Time. Uh, I gave it a seven because I do think it's enjoyable entertainment, and, you know, I... I it, it's going to take a heck of a movie, particularly a movie musical, for me to give anything a 10. And I thought 7 was reasonable because it certainly wasn't perfect. And as you say, while it's fun and entertaining and tells a good story and sends a good message, um, it's not the best musical ever made. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm close. I'm good. I decided on a 6. Uh -huh. I couldn't move to a 7. Okay. Uh, James Corden moves it down from a 7 to a 6. Oh, if we could have yeah. gotten a better leading man, I think, to play that role. We might have been able to go you, seven. You know, one mm -hmm. of the, I, I forgot to highlight one mm -hmm. of the scenes in the movie that I really mm -hmm. liked. I'm going to throw it because James Corden came to mind. It's when they're checking into this little motel in Edgewater. And of course, they're treating it like a big fancy mm -hmm. hotel in New York. And they want a suite and all that. And the guy says, we don't have suites. And First, Dee Dee starts pulling out her Tony Awards, which she carries in her handbag. And and then James Corden starts pulling out his awards, too, thinking that if they show this guy that they're these award-winning, you know, stage stars, uh, they're going to get the, the suite that the small motel does not have, of course. Yes, I did enjoy that <laughs> I, I thought that was pretty funny. All right. So that's our movie review for The Prom. We have two big ones coming up. On Monday, we're going to do Tenet. And then uh, the following week, we're going to do Wonder Woman. Real live, 
uh, theatrical movies. Granted, <laughs> they will be streamed, but they were technically real-life theatrical movies. So They uh, don't have any music, I don't think. Well, other than background well, music, uh, of course. Wonder Woman song. might have some cool 80s music. In oh, okay. It, so. Uh, and Tenet will have a cool score because okay. uh, Nolan's a sound nut. But uh, Well, very different than the prom, I think, yes. we're going to get with Tenet and Wonder Woman. We're going to get some real-life, full-length motion pictures here. So Tenet and Wonder Woman coming up on the movie review. All right, now we'll move to our TV show review, The Undoing. All right, we're here for our TV review, and that means Dr. M. Sage is with us once again to do The Undoing. All right, The Undoing, a star-powered vehicle. How did you like it? Well, it is star-powered. I'll give it that. And it's... uh, Star-powered from the 90s, maybe. Oh. (laughs) Well, Nicole Kidman has done a lot of HBO lately. I mean, she is still a star. Hugh Grant? Maybe not quite so much, but the movie follows them. Uh, They are married. He's good at playing the dirty old man now. Uh, Well, now, how can you say that? He kind of does look like a dirty old man. I have to say, there's something about him. That that Amazon show last year uh, (laughs) that he was like He's just the the creepy old dude now, I think, uh, from the floppy-haired boyish English guy from the 90s. It's kind of difficult to really like Hugh Grant anymore. But the show follows their marriage. They are a successful Upper East Side couple. He's a pediatric oncologist. She's a successful counselor. And everything looks lovely until it doesn't anymore when there is a murder of a parent at their son's elite prep school. So the show, I thought, was well-paced. In, at some level, I thought it had too many episodes. Um, they could have gone with a shorter, shorter uh, miniseries. I thought that um, it did well as you're watching it. When you're watching it, it comes up at the end every time. There's a twist. There's a red herring. It keeps you guessing as to what's going on. But if I'm going to be honest with you, by the end, I hated it. Yeah, uh, maybe because I watched it all in one night and one, like, uh, six-hour block. Uh, I didn't really like it from the start, so... Uh, oh, you is, didn't even like the first episode? No, because uh, I pretty much, I had it pegged uh, pretty early on how this was going to break down, and that might be because I've spent... I don't know, the last 30 years watching murder mystery shows from every Nordic country that there is. So there's nothing too much that uh, surprises me uh, anymore. But uh, I, it was done well, I will say that. Uh, shot well, episodes, you know, rise arc, you want to watch the next episode every time it ends. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it gives you a is, twist at the end of each episode. Yeah, and the acting is, I, I thought, was really good too. Uh, Storyline-wise, I was not as The acting is the only involved. thing that saved it, frankly. Yes. I, uh, I really enjoyed Donald Sutherland. <gasps> I thought he was ridiculously good. Um, but uh, I did, too. Donald Sutherland is such a gem, and he continues, even at his age, to surprise me with just how well he could nail a character. Yeah, I thought he was the best uh, character in the show. Um, but the story overall... I was totally out on and uh, pretty much hated every minute of it, especially from about episode three to six. Um, I was episode like, Episode six, bad. I was pretty much like, Can we just get this over with and uh, <laughs> be done with it? Um, well, I don't suggest people actually binge it in one night. I watched it over a series of maybe two or three days, and that I think helped with the pacing because at the end of two or three episodes, you're kind of like, Oh, I want to see what the next episode brings. I think watching it all the way through like that would be kind of difficult. I I think it might've made me pick up on uh, every one of its flaws really quickly as I'm like just one episode right after the other. And maybe if I had paced it along like uh, 
one or two a day for a couple of days, I might not have been so harsh. But uh, as I was just putting it together one episode or the other, I pretty much just started to be like, I hate this person, I hate this person, and everyone in this is completely inept and doesn't have a clue what they're doing. Uh, that's, yeah, by the end, that was sort of what I came up with, too. I think that um, they don't let you into Grace's character, which is a shame. They they don't develop her as a very deep character. They rely on a lot of close-ups, close-ups of her eyes. I got really tired of seeing her bloodshot eyes. Uh, I think the director really overdid it with uh, the close-ups. Um, there were some scenes that I thought were really wonderfully shot. They had a few drone scenes that I thought were really good, uh, emphasizing that Grace was alone. And that was sort of a theme throughout, that she's a, a stoic person, she's a loner. And I thought that those shots helped to establish that. But beyond that, well, I can't say that I thought it was wonderful. No, uh the guy who did it, David E. Kelly, uh, he does a lot of network shows, and uh, yes, he does. While this had the feel of a you know a bigger budget HBO type show, uh, I thought it sort of had a little bit of a networky uh, feel to it, at least uh, pace wise, where they arc each episode and end. And I don't know, it felt a little networky, especially uh, at the end. It just seemed like a network feel. Uh, to it and it didn't have a what I'd I'd say is like a true HBO style uh, miniseries or show feel to it where there's a lot of depth and grittiness it it just seemed a little I don't even know how to say how the end but uh, a little bit uh, networky I think is just the I think that that's a pretty good assessment it did it didn't have yeah it didn't have the grittiness that an hbo show usually does now he did big little lies yeah which was much better received than this one and also a, a nicole kidman uh vehicle yeah uh i liked uh big little lies uh better than this one though i, I also didn't love big little lies quite as much as everybody else, but uh, definitely much better than this one because uh, this one I pretty much hated. <laughs> well, I say I actually think this show is a little bit difficult to rate because as I was watching it and I didn't binge it like you, I thought this is this is fun to watch to to see what's going to come up with the, on the next episode. They you know they did a very good job at bringing in the red herrings for you, but. In looking back at it, I would give it a much lower rating than I would give it as I was watching it. Yeah, uh, I'm going to hammer it on the rating. So, uh, uh, see, what I did you think of the costumes? I, I, I thought it and the sets. Set-wise, I thought it uh, looked uh, really good, sort of old money uh, New York. I did like that. Yeah. It gave that true sort of feel of uh, upper crust New York. Uh, if anyone wants to purchase me the Donald Sutherland house, uh, I'm more than welcome to live in it. I, I will live there with you. Uh, that was a gorgeous place they had there. I, I actually also like Nicole Kidman's uh, apartment, as she called it. Yeah, I, I'd be accepting of that one as well. But uh, the Donald Sutherland one I liked uh, quite a bit. But uh, yeah, I thought that all that was really nice. nice and, you know, it it gave the the sort of feel I thought for the uh, show, but it did. The only issue is that it had an opportunity. Here it is, twenty twenty, and it had an opportunity to really kind of skewer that old money upper crust upper east side, and it didn't. It didn't really bring out the disparities between people of color and white upper crust. In, in a show about a murder and a trial and the person who is murdered is a person of color and we don't really get a lot of, you know, insight into into all of that. It's hinted at every now and then, but it wasn't really, I thought, very, very well done. No, I thought maybe, uh, it never totally says when the show takes place, so maybe uh, I think they wanted that sort of... Uh, 
It could be, you know, 80s. Well, it probably couldn't have been 80s, but 90s, 2000s, 2010s. Uh, you could sort of feel it in any of those eras because I didn't think there was that much uh, distinguishing uh, stuff that separated a, a timeline that told you it was specifically like 2020 in it. So I think they were sort of vague. They, they did bring that in in the final episode because she actually says that they met in 2003 and that they've been together for 17 years. Yeah. But, but feel before wise, that, I, you're right. They didn't I, really. Yeah. It wasn't like a, this is 2020, uh, you know. No, but, um, it didn't. It didn't scream 2020. No, it didn't it could scream have. 20. And it should have. I think it would have been better if it had. Yeah. As it might have been. Though uh, I did find the funny scene in the uh, first episode when they were at the auction or fundraiser or whatever and they were like diversity and then they do the white shot and it's a bunch of old crusty white people yes exactly there's they're so diversity is so important to their school there isn't a diverse person in the whole crowd <laughs> all right so that was so, actually pretty funny that was yes i think that might have been ended up being my favorite scene of the whole show <laughs> It did get me. It did make me laugh, and I watched the show twice. Believe it or not. Oh, did just, you? I did. Oh, just to make sure that maybe I got something wrong, but no, I didn't. No. Uh, you said you saw a lot of red herrings. I think that was my main problem. I I didn't see a ton of them in this. They sort of. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, other than the uh, couple times where they sort of looked at. Uh, Nicole Kidman's character and such, I didn't really see a ton. That's why I maybe I didn't like it the whole time because I was like, they didn't seem to have uh, other people that were on the hook here for anything. Oh, see, I thought they did. I thought that they sort of made everyone a suspect at one point or another. Interesting. Hmm. I think I think that has something to do with with um, viewing it over a few days rather than all at once. Yeah, maybe there was more time for you to think about uh, each character and what might happen to, in it, whereas I was just like right on to the next episode, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, I thought that uh, he, Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant actually had some chemistry. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think they did for sure. I, I, I liked the way the two acted together. Now, uh, overall, Nicole Kidman's character, I thought, was... I liked her playing that character, but the actual character herself, I I, I question if that was an honorary uh, Harvard degree that she got for psychiatry, because <laughs> she seemed to have uh, quite a bit of issues, and... Uh, couldn't really tell uh, good people from bad people. So uh, I was a little suspect on her high-end degree there that she was such a badass shrink as uh, they were trying to <laughs> let us believe. Yes, she was supposed to be the best. Yeah, I the didn't best. quite pick up on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't either. And when she was with a patient, it just was sort of like, hmm, okay. Interesting advice you're giving people here. I know. She sort of just stood uh, doe-eyed, and I was like, eh, I don't know where this is coming from. And then uh, you, don't, you don't think that you would go to her counseling sessions? Is that what I you're telling me? I don't think so. I, I think that, and I think uh, when she's uh, with Donald Sutherland, and he admits that the, his marriage with his wife wasn't perfect, and uh, he slept around a lot, I was, I was like, you didn't pick up on that, the old white dude who was never home with a lot of money? Yeah. <laughs> I was, I yeah, was thinking a little that like, her parents had a perfect marriage. That was an interesting scene, too. Uh, didn't quite jive like, there. Yeah, I know. I was like, eh. Well, that's, as... that's where she's giving the speech in, in, in episode six, although I'm trying not to give out spoilers. Here. Yeah. Not yet, anyway. But Definitely. she doesn't see what she's supposed to see. Yes. Now, I did find out something interesting today, Champ. The final scene was rewritten four different times. Yeah, I figured and it would have had to be because uh, the final scene I thought was possibly the dumbest thing ever. 
Oh really, my the- gosh, I'm glad you agree with me on that. The last 15 minutes are the stupidest ending to a show ever. Yeah, I know. I, I think that's where my final rating, uh, that pretty much sealed it to where I was like, <laughs> this thing is just stupid and... I'm glad I binged this in six hours. I won't get those back in my life. No, that, that is true. And I watched it for 12. What does that yeah, say I know. about me? You, you double watch. So uh, I don't know what you were doing. I don't think I could, I don't think I could make it uh, on like two times speed through it a second time. <laughs> well, I, I sacrifice myself for this podcast. <laughs> yes, you did. Uh, Though I, I sacrificed too because I ended up watching it. I probably would have put this show off for like a year and a half before I drug myself to it. So, well, what are you what are you rating it? I'm giving it a one. I Ooh. I give it a two. I was going with two, and uh, then the last uh, thirty minutes or so of the show. Uh, pretty much put me into the one category. So I'm a one on this. Um, I I think if you haven't watched it, though, that if you give it a chance, you might enjoy it going through, not necessarily binging it. And, you know, as I watched it I, I the first time, I thought, wow, you know, this is kind of exciting, interesting su- suspense here. And I thought, this is, this is getting into four territory here. But the ending killed it for me. Yeah. Uh, I would not say don't watch it, even though I'm giving it a one. Uh, the performances are worth watching, but uh, don't get your hopes yeah. up that you're going to get a satisfying story or ending. And uh, if you think about it too long, uh, you're going to dislike this show. Exactly. Um, I would say watch it and then in the last 15 minutes, turn it off. <laughs> I, I'd go the last episode just don't watch that <laughs> uh, you, you could well you got to get some of that last episode in but you don't need much of it frankly i agree yeah. with you okay, okay so you want to well, go when spoiler territory yes if you're listening and you haven't watched it stop listening now because now we're going to get into the fun stuff yeah all right into the fun stuff Okay, I wanted Donald Sutherland to be the one who was guilty because his character was so badass that I thought that would have been a much more satisfying ending. Well, see, you had the, I wanted the child to be a psychopath and gone there and (laughs) smashed the woman's face in. I think that would have brought it to me. I I think that would have had my Nordic vibes. If it had been a Finnish show or something, it would have been the child. Much more interesting. That's what I mean. I think it would have been much more interesting. And then when you get Nicole Kidman who goes on the stand and turns on him and does her heel turn, it would have been to protect the child. And at least you got a storyline there. This show had a great ending point, and that was after her testimony when she left the courtroom. They could have ended it there, left it ambiguous, because then you weren't quite sure, was he guilty or was she just lying because she just lied on the stand over and over again. And if they'd left it there, an ambiguous ambiguous ending, I think it would have been a much more satisfying show. Hugh Grant is the one who didn't want that ending, though. He wanted them to know that he was the murderer, it turns out. Yeah, uh, I didn't like that either. Uh, well, I could have liked it, but uh, the fact that they made him such a lovable guy or tried to make him such a lovable tried guy to. through six episodes, th- which I don't know if that came off all that great. It was a little creepy from episode one until six, I thought. But the way he went from zero to 60 and smashed the woman's face in... Um, I have a feeling that's not a one-off type of thing. Uh, I, I went, if this guy was that psychotic, uh, there are probably prostitutes buried in that little house in the Hamptons or somewhere all over the place. It, this isn't sort of a one-off type thing where all of a sudden he's, you know, psychotic and wants to smash somebody's face in 1,500 times. I totally agree. This isn't a crime of passion here. They left so many holes throughout this series. Now, you must have noticed this even more watching it all back to back. Uh, Donald Sutherland has this big dramatic scene where he talks about how he gave him $500,000. What happened to that money? 
And Hugh Grant has supposedly been out of work for three months now. Um, where's he been hanging out? Well, yeah, I I questioned that, and I also questioned if he would have really been fired. If he was such this great doctor who was curing children's cancer, I have a feeling we probably would have glossed over him sleeping with a pa- patient's mother or two here. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I, I thought so. I'm like, really? You fired this guy, you gave him ample warnings that he was doing something wrong, and I'm like, no, I yeah, don't buy I, it. If he was this wonderful cancer doctor, they're just going to hide it and pay her off. That's what I mean. They they shove it under the carpet, and then if she gets mad, uh, she sues, and they pay her off, and she goes away, and, you know, he takes a class for four months, and then he's back working with patients. Exactly. That's exactly what would happen. Oh, and Henry, oh, first, he hides the hammer in uh, uh I had a very problem with that. I was like, well, this goes to the whole police investigation. Um, they didn't get a search warrant for the uh, Hamptons home up there. I know. It was ridiculous. And then Henry runs the hammer through the dishwasher twice. Really, Henry has access to the dishwasher when the maid's not around and he runs the hammer through it twice. I don't see that happening. See, that's where I thought it was the child. I, I'm still going with my, that it's the psycho <laughs> child. Uh, any child who likes playing violin at the age of 13 uh, definitely has a screw loose. So I'm I'm guessing that it, it was the child that bashed the woman's face in, and we just, we got a fake uh, uh, flashback <laughs> scene in there. <laughs> oh, that 15, the last 15 minutes, I found so difficult to watch. Really, Manhattan traffic, but you can get from the courtroom to the helipad and get your helicopter and go on a police chase? Yeah, well, I'm ignoring that whole uh, kidnap, police chase, bridge, maybe suicide scene ever happened at all. That was totally weird, and if anything, they were going to have to go even more gruesome where he kills himself and the child to uh, make that worthwhile. And they even capped out of that and just had Nicole Kidman running to the child, which. <laughs> oh, and then she runs to him and then running back and she's yes. smiling and it's wonderful. And she, it's all over. And I'm like, oh, there's no psychological trauma that goes along with this or anything. What kind of psychiatrist are you? Yeah, I know. That, that's where I had my network feel, for sure. I was like, <laughs> this is such an well, ABC show ending. They tied it up with a big red bow. They didn't need to do that. That ruined. I, thought, I think that ruined the whole, whole show. I, I also had so, a bit of a problem with the uh, high-powered genius attorney who decided to put both Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman on the stand. <laughs> I, I've watched enough Discovery ID. Uh, none of those people ever testify because if no. they do, they get found out and uh, get convicted guilty. So that lawyer never would have put Hugh Grant on the stand for one. And when they got away with Hugh Grant getting on the stand and made him look inter- innocent, they damn sure would not have put Nicole Kidman on the stand. No way. Plus this lawyer who at the last minute calls the little boy up to the stand no preparation or anything oh hey he's in the crowd i'll call the son up to the stand no that wouldn't happen yeah definitely a lot of holes here and (laughs) that's probably why i disliked it uh more than anything um major holes major holes and uh i just i always thought hugh was the guilty party too. That's why I never bought the red herrings that it might be Nicole Kidman or it might be Donald Sutherland or it might be the kid. I was like, Hugh's done this the whole time because I didn't think they, you know, they had just photo of Nicole walking and then they poo-pooed that. And I was like, well, yeah, but you aren't going to have Nicole Kidman bash somebody's face in a hundred times. So it probably has to be a... Nicole Kidman doesn't look strong enough to bash. Yeah, that's what I was like. She's lifting a hammer and slamming this woman in the face. (laughs) I was like, well, that's a no. And then you see a couple Donald Sutherland scenes and the man can barely walk. So I was like, yeah, he probably didn't go down into the basement there and blast somebody's head. I do think he could have bashed someone's head in, though. I don't know. He could walk very well. I feel like he would have fallen over. (laughs) (laughs) I think that the idea that Nicole Kidman walks all over New York by herself in the middle of the night is also 
pretty laughable. Well, I, I think that's her honorary Harvard degree and her stress release <laughs> working there. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yes, walking through Central Park alone, and they make the husband uh, of Elena look so ominous there. And it's just like, right, because she's never had anyone stalk her in the park before. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she was a pretty lightly dressed, too. I feel like uh, she needed a couple more jackets if she's just strolling along New York. <laughs> yes, in the middle of the snow with her long green coat. Yeah. Her coats were beautiful, though, I have to say. I, I will enjoyed say, uh, looking at her coats. Yeah, all those dresses were really nice. I loved all the ballroom dresses, though. I found it mm -hmm. funny. They covered all everyone up except for the hot girl he was sleeping with. When they gave her that giant V-cut dress where her boobs were pretty much all the way out. Yep, exactly. Oh, and you know what? They never followed up. The police were so inept. There had to be some sort of camera in the elevator in that building where Nicole kissed Elena, and yet that never came up again. So I question why they even had the scene in there if they weren't ever going to use it. Uh, HBO, they wanted to, they have to do their <laughs> token lesbian or uh, male gay scene just to <sighs> be, uh, you know, flirting with the line of, that's what I figured. Oh, well, no, HBO I thought the locker room scene was uh, enough. <laughs> oh, gratuitous there, maybe a little bit? I, I'm not one. I'm just like, who the hell's walking up in a locker room and just <laughs> butt naked going right into your face? <laughs> I know. That does, <laughs> I've never had that happen in a locker room before. Very weird. It would be but, interesting if it did. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like. That would have started a fight pretty <laughs> instantly. Somebody, I think, would have been kicked out. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we know how both of us feel about The Undoing. Yes, I know. It's uh, undone. Not our favorite show. So. No. And somehow was better than The Crown. So it wasn't better than The Crown, which I didn't like last week. So I'm on a 0 for 2 streak here. You're on an O for everything street. No, you didn't think, like Emily in Paris either. I, no, I think Emily in Paris might be my number one leading show right now with the ones we've done. Oh, no. That's really saying something. I could at least ignore Emily in Paris while that was on the screen. The other two I actually had to watch. Mm, okay. I can buy that. Yeah. All right. So... I think we're going to be off next week for the Christmas holiday. And then we're going to do The Mandalorian. Yes, The Mandalorian. Uh, I think I'll like this one. Well, I hope so. You have to like <laughs> something at some point. Yes, I know. Or what's I, the point of watching television? I sometimes ask myself those same questions. <laughs> oh, no. I love entertainment. Yes, I know. But I never find any of them entertaining. <laughs> Well, since I'm missing hockey, which is my number one fall and winter sport and number one television viewing during winter time, I'm I got to get into the series. Yes, all right. So Mandalorian in Mandalorian. two weeks, we'll yes. be back. Mandalorian. I think I'll like this one. It it automatically gets like a two and a half just because it's Star Wars. So. Oh, okay. This should be interesting. I am not into Star Wars as much as you, but I won't give anything away about The Mandalorian yet. That's our show. We want to thank Rinda Cinema for coming in and Dr. M. Shage. Great review show. Be sure to follow all our podcasts on greenlightnetwork.org or wherever you find podcasts. If you'd like to get our shows on the video, be sure to subscribe and like our YouTube and Facebook page at Greenlight Network. That's our show and we're out.